630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. All right, hope your weekend is off to a great start. It is hot outside. That's my clever observation for the evening. Blue Jays in action. Middle of the fifth, they trail Tampa Bay 3-1. We'll keep you updated on that one. Pretty fun chat in the first hour of the show. I started off by talking about the fan at the Scottish Open who walked onto a tee box and grabbed one of Rory McIlroy's clubs and kind of stood around with it and then finally was escorted away by security. And I was saying it was a relatively, I thought, subdued reaction to a member of the gallery actually uh, taking a club out of a player's bag and uh, being able to stand with it for a minute or two. And then Morley and I and many of you got texting in about other fan player incidents, some of them humorous, some of them dangerous, and some of them uh, you know, quite scary. Obviously, the Monica Sellis incident was uh, one of them. So uh, thanks to everybody who chimed in on that. It's 780-496-0063. We'll go to the CertainTeed hotline, CertainTeed professional-grade building materials right now. And welcome back to the show from Alberta Basketball. He's the executive director, and he also is the 3x3 guru for Basketball Canada. It's Paul Sir. Hey, Paul, how are you doing? Brendan, I do not have Paul. Here I am. You guys there he is. me off for a while. I, yeah, I think you were going to censor me because I was going to give you a wise comment on your clairvoyance about it being hot outside, Reed. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good, eh? That's yeah, pretty yeah, good. boy, like, you really went out on a limb there. You're always safe talking about the weather, right? It's a great way to start a conversation. <laughs> that's what I've been told. That's absolutely and, uh, I, when it comes to Basketball Canada, I've just started calling you the 3x3 guru, but what, what is your actual title again? Managing Director for Canada Basketball for 3x3 Development. Uh, right, so, so you're in yeah. charge of it, so you're the guru. Yeah, I'm the guru, that's right. If you want to you call me the guru, I won't fight it, Reed. <laughs> well, I just should, like, look, you and I know each other very well. Uh, we, we've had agree. We briefly worked together when I had a stint at Basketball Alberta, uh, where you put up with me, and we've been able to. You've, you've all you're always willing to come on the show, and you, Paul, and I, I want people to know this. And I'm not just buttering you up here. I, I want people to know this. You're incredibly passionate about basketball at all levels, and three x three in this city and this country, I truly believe, would not be what it is without you because you have believed in it and you've showed passion for it and you you know how to organize it and get athletes involved and get people interested and one of the ways you do that is by coming on shows like this and i know you do other talk shows and i think that's great so i gotta give you i gotta give you credit for that i know you're a humble guy and you probably won't have anything to say but that's but the, the, the this is you have had a lot of real life impact like you don't you don't just come on and talk theoretical stuff it's it's real life stuff from you and you go out there and you do it and you make it happen you deserve you deserve credit for that really appreciate that reed thank you it's uh, the game i've loved my whole life i'm uh just really privileged to be part of it and uh having been able to be involved with it most of my uh most of my life and and i appreciate the com- uh, the comments and i know they come from a sincere place so thank you reed all right. Well, I want to let's have a little bit of fun here because we want to dive into sure. the NBA a bit and that incredible finish on the weekend for Canada, which ultimately didn't go their way against the Czech Republic. But we got this odd theme tonight about fans coming onto the 
field of play, whatever sport it is, or, and sometimes it doesn't go well for the fan. Unfortunately, sometimes it doesn't go well for the athlete. Basketball is unique to me because there, like, there's no separation. There are, there are no boards. There's no plexiglass. There's no railing between the front row fans sit like Jack Nicholson was, uh, or Jack Nicholas, uh, no, sorry, Jack, my God, I'm all over the place. Like Jack Nicholson's <laughs> like right beside the visitors bench at Lakers games. Like I remember, I remember when the uh, Lakers beat the Pacers in the final, Nicholson was the first person to shake Larry Bird's hand. He was coaching the Pacers after the, after the game. <laughs> so, but your, do you have any experience a memorable experience, uh, good, bad, dangerous, humorous that you have been a part of or witnessed uh, fans getting too involved, so to speak, in a basketball game? Well, I'll go way back um, in a personal experience in Minnesota playing in, at that time, NAIA, which was next to Division One, the best brand of basketball in the U.S. And the fans would get really carried away, and there were two incidents. One, the year before I went to Winona State, where uh, at a playoff game, something was said in the crowd that probably was racial in nature, and several Winona State black athletes went up into the stands and started fighting the fans. So that's, uh, let's go with Clint Eastwood's the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, so that's the bad. Uh, the, the good is the occasional streaker that back in the 70s was very prevalent. Uh, so unfortunately it was only usually dudes and not necessarily in the best shape, but, uh, there were a couple of streaking incidents. So I'll call them the good because they were pretty harmless. The ugly was, uh, we were playing St. Thomas and walking out onto the court and one of the fans decided uh, they'd been liquored up too much and, uh, they couldn't quite make it to the washroom. So they started peeing on the opponent. So, oh my God! Yeah, so we'll go with the good, the bad, and the ugly, and those are personal experiences. You see, you see others, and, and like you say, what, what what surprises me most about basketball is even though there is no separation, read like you point out, there really aren't that many incidents where the fans are doing something uh, that they get too carried away on. You have parents going nuts in the stands, and you know, getting carried away. Spike Lee jawing with Reggie uh, Reggie Miller from the Pacers when he was on the sidelines with the Nick and the Knicks in the front row. But aside from a couple of, of violent incidents, for the most part in basketball, it's been pretty tame. Well, you're right. And I guess Spike Lee is kind of the, I mean, a lot of celebrities sit courtside. But he's yes. probably the one that's kind of, I guess, a little bit of the bad boy because he can, like you said, get involved with the other team. And but the thing is, Reggie Miller, and, and can give it right back to, him. and maybe that that lack of separation possibly serves as its own deterrent. Because if you're a mouthy human being and you're sitting courtside and you think I'm going to give it to whoever tonight, and then you realize he's a foot and a half taller than you <laughs> because there isn't that separation, maybe yeah. that serves as an automatic deterrent. Well, you're absolutely right. And there was the fan in, I think it was Washington, who was banned for life because he was harassing players and getting carried away and claimed that it was his right as a fan to say whatever he wanted. But the management of the arena and the team thought differently, and so the guy will never go to another 
basketball game again. So you're you're right. There's the deterrent on the size of the athlete, and then because you're so close and you can identify who's uh, you know who's saying what, if you cross the line, you're going to pay for it. I I remember. Um... I, you're going to think this is funny, but uh, I'm sure you know Tom Grote, who coached at Lloyd Comp. I'm not sure who he's coaching now, yeah. but he he always had uh, like they had a really good basketball program there, the Lloyd Comp Barons when I was working at yeah. Lloyd, and they had a really good tournament. I mean, he would bring up up teams from Calgary and and yeah. Edmonton. It wasn't just Lloyd Minster playing teams in the area; like it was a good high quality big city tournament and Lloyd Comp usually did pretty well and a lot of people went and I remember there was one game and you know sometimes fans don't like decisions by officials and there was one guy who was I, I don't even think he was a parent I think he was just a fan there wanted, wanted Lloyd to do well and you know he was making the odd crack at the refs and then there was a stoppage in play and, and I, I always remember this, Paul, because I, I kind of appreciated the way the fan handled it, and I also appreciated the way the referee handled it. Handled it. So the fan was there with a buddy, and he's probably in the second or third row, and there's a stoppage in play, and the ref is waiting for the timeout to end, and the ball's going to be inbounded right in front of where this fan was sitting. So the ref is standing there. So this fan turns to his buddy and loudly is explaining to his friend how poor he thinks the officials are. <laughs> <laughs> so he didn't yell at the ref. He didn't yell out on the court. He didn't use profanities, but he turned to be like me, turned to you and saying, Hey Paul, I can't believe these guys are calling the other. And the ref of course can hear this. And he turns around and politely says, Hey man, I don't make the rules. I just enforce them. And then it was done. It was, you know, it was dealt with the fan vented. The ref took his little shot back and, and that was the end of it. <laughs> Actually, what I think that that is a great story, and there's another Lloyd Minster uh, connection to the story you just told, uh, Reed, and that was with the late Phil Allen, who has the most wins in CCAA history, which is college basketball. Phil co- coached and really got the uh, uh, got the, the Lakeland College program off to a great start, and it became a nationally ranked team. That was one of Phil's greatest tricks would be when the official was within earshot, he would turn to one of his players and explain how he thought the officiating was so terrible right then. <laughs> the official, you, you know, sometimes the officials wouldn't take it too well, but Phil was a master at that. So, yeah, that is a great story, Reed. Yeah, just watching Phil interact with the refs was sometimes as entertaining as watching the game, for sure. Uh, <laughs> Paul Search joining us tonight from Basketball Alberta. Okay, so on, I'm trying to remember which weekend. It would have been Saturday. Uh, Saturday, uh, just an amazing finish. Canada and the Czech Republic at the semifinal of the Olympic qualifier in Victoria. Canada's down nine points in the final minute. And they tied it. I mean, and I know they lost the game, and they 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 couldn't hang on to lead in overtime. But I like that's one of those, Paul. Maybe you've seen it more often than I has, but than I have. But that's one of those where you need everything to go right, almost like out of a script, to be able to tie that game, don't you? Well, a hundred percent. In terms of the actual basketball finish, that was that would rival the great steal by Larry Bird with the pass to Dennis Johnson to beat the Detroit Pistons uh, in the last championship year of the Boston Celtics in the 80s. That was a remarkable comeback that you see hardly ever in the sport. Nine points, 49 seconds, uh, two, three, uh, a three-pointer, 
three free throws and then a steal and an unbelievable shot by Andrew Wiggins to tie it. So it wasn't like Canada wasn't in there fighting. They certainly were. And to, uh, to send it into overtime was a miracle in and of itself. Okay, so what does this mean now, though, for Canada basketball? We're not going to the Olympics. I heard it over and over again throughout this tournament. Best Canadian team ever assembled. A lot of NBA players on the team, and including a couple of really good ones who weren't there. So what does it mean now that we didn't make it? Like, I'm kind of like, wow, what an empty feeling. And now I got to wait another cycle to possibly see them in the Olympics again. How are we supposed to take this as fans? And what does it mean for the program? Those are great questions, Reed. And I think there's a lot of dimensions and a lot of people thinking about what, what, what's next for Canada basketball's men's program. We all know how far Canada has come as a basketball nation in terms of talent. Uh, we're among the best in the world in terms of actual talent. But we do not have the kind of national team culture that has been able to produce teams that will, will in the end, be able to win the big game. And I think Canada basketball really has to evaluate what kind of what kind of emphasis they're going to place on the national team going forward. I mean, we can say the obvious. They want to qualify for the Olympics. But so, somebody said this the other day, and I, and I thought it was such a – it's a gruesome, but I, I think it, it uh, certainly exemplifies what other countries will do to win. And this fellow said, you know, European countries will gnaw their leg off for a chance to win a game to, to get to the Olympics. And what I think he was really trying to say was their culture is all about doing their best and bringing their best players together, and the players come to play for their country. I mean, when you look, uh, when, when, when you look at Slovenia qualifying because Luka Doncic is saying, it means more to me to represent my country to try to win a gold medal than it would be to win an NBA championship. And I don't think that in North America, I'm going to lump Canada, Canada, basketball in Canada with the U.S. We're an NBA culture, and the way I would explain the NBA is, yes, it's the greatest basketball league in the world, but it's designed for combining basketball and entertainment, where when you look at FIBA basketball, that's the hardcore uh, traditional type of basketball, and people play to win in a very different way than they play in the NBA and players have big contracts they think about. I mean, that's why we didn't have several players on the Canadian team. So uh, I'm sorry to give such a long-winded answer, but I think what it's leading to is we've got to evaluate how we get the players to buy in for cycles, not just for whether or not they're going to show up for camp two weeks in advance of the camp starting. And I think we've got some of those leaders in R.J. Barrett, Jamal Murray, and I know he was injured but he's really committed to Canada. So I think we have some building blocks in place, but that's what it's going to take is to build a better culture that centers around the national team and national pride over just playing basketball for money. Yeah, I like how you put that. And I, I want to see Canada do well in these other sports. And I was, I was excited for, for them to, to win that tournament and, and hopefully make the Olympics. So it's, yeah, it's disappointing how it turned out. Quick question for you, Reed. Imagine, look back on when hockey 
didn't win the gold in the Olympics and how Hockey Canada responded and how swiftly things change. I think in basketball, that mentality has to start coming in as part of the planning process as opposed to hoping players are going to play. We have to find the best players and really work on getting their commitment from them so we can duplicate like hockey where we expect to go and be successful when it comes time to qualify. Well, that's that's a good way to put it. And, you know, we know hockey is king in this country. And, uh, like, I'm not saying I have a problem with that. And, and you, even as a basketball guy, recognize that. But, but that 100%. should be – but you're right. That's how we should approach other sports is that we can be good, that we can compete, that we, we're not just going to finish 16th. You know, and that if we if we lose, we don't say, well, we try hard enough. We say, okay, that that's a that's a lump we took. How do we get to that that next level? I I think you're you're right, Paul, and you're right. When Hockey Canada even you know finishes fourth at the World Juniors, it's like, okay, what what happened? We can't have that happen again. Other sports need to adopt that mentality. Canada can't be uh, where we just want to be good enough nation anymore. I th- I think we've evolved past that in a lot of sports. And I think you're right. I mean, look at the success tennis is having. But I think when you talk about basketball, we the, the frustrating part is we have the talent and we have the ability, but we're missing something in the commitment side. That, and, and I'm not saying it's not from lack of effort. It's just we don't have the right culture and the right perspective yet that's working and, and moving it forward. Now we've got the women's Olympic team going in. They're ranked fourth in the world. I worry for them, to be honest, right? because I see some of these same characteristics seeping into the women's culture, which has always been extremely close. But now you've got WNBA players parachuting in very shortly before the Olympics start. When you have other national teams that have everybody together for long periods of time preparing for this. So I hope they, I hope they exceed what I think might happen. I really do. I hope they're on the podium. But I think when you're just parachuting in, it's a real tough way to move forward and expect to go up against teams that are very used to competing at this level. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Okay, Paul. Before and again, here's the you and I get going on other stuff, and we're oh, shortchanging the, the the NBA. Well, no, this is good because I think uh, I, I think some of the things we talked about are very tangible to people listening who might have kids in basketball or, you know, and, and are watching the sport develop. And I think that's important, but the NBA finals are going on. Oh, my colleague, Jack Michaels, who, you know, <laughs> you're yeah. going to love this. He's, he's He said, this might possibly be the least interested he's ever been in the NBA finals. And, you know, that it, it, what I would pass on to him and it's a little bit tongue in cheek, and that shows how little he knows about the game. <laughs> because in terms of interest, in terms of quality of play, this is a very good basketball series. Phoenix is a really good team. Milwaukee has you know, obviously one of the best players in the world. Their supporting cast has been lacking in the final thus far. But this is a really good basketball series. And I say hallelujah, because one thing I love, Reed, if you don't have LeBron James and his teammates whining at the officials on every call, they're out there just playing the game. I couldn't miss LeBron less, and I couldn't be enjoying the quality of play and the, 
I mean, this means a lot to these guys, and that's the way they're playing right now. So, but it does. But but to your friends, to your friends' point, this does not have the star power that other NBA finals have had. Paul, this was an absolute blast as always. We'll do it again soon. Love your perspective. Have a great weekend, man. You as well, Reed. Always a lot of fun. Take care. That is Paul Sir, Executive Director of Alberta Basketball, and as I call him, the 3x3 guru for Basketball Canada. We touched on a lot of stuff. It was all great with Paul. News and weather coming up, then more inside sports. Hope you're having a great evening. Hope your weekend's off to a great start. Just had Paul Sir on the show. Always good basketball chat with him. Morley Scott hopped on. We talked a little bit about fans and players going into each other's areas. That sounded a little awkward. Going (laughs) going into each other's uh, environments. Maybe that sounds better than areas. uh, After the fan walked onto the tee at the Scottish Open today and took a club out of McElroy's bag. We had some uh, good storytelling there with Morley Scott. Always happy to hear from you. 780-496-0063. The number to both call and text. Get me on Twitter at Reed Wilkins, R-E-I-D-W-I-L-K-I-N-S. And you can email inside sports at 630ched.com. The Tampa Bay Lightning, the Stanley Cup champions, Andre Vasilevsky, the goaltender, the Conn Smythe Trophy winner. Here's what Kelly Rudy had to say about Vasilevsky. His style is a little bit unique unto himself. And, you know, he's very, very explosive. We showed that many times in the playoffs. And uh, maybe he doesn't look quite as smooth as a guy like Price. Not that there's uh, a right or wrong in that answer, but. I just think that a guy like him, he's he's big. He uses his size well. Um, he's maybe a little bit more like a Dominic Hoshik where, you know, he's got all the technique that you need, yet he's more willing maybe to ad lib a little bit when uh, he recognizes that he might be in the wrong position or he's just got to do something really, really powerful to get across the crease. And so uh, it's a combination of, man, you've got to be really, really strong, really trust your edge work. And I think that for me, it's his mental toughness also that really separates him from most of the guys. Uh, Like I, I can only think of one game in the playoffs that he was bad. And it was a game versus Carolina. And it was an after, it was a Sunday afternoon game. I can't remember what the score was, but I think it might've finished something like six, four for Tampa. And, and that was the only game I can really think that he had a poor outing. Other than that, you know, he is just rock solid. He just doesn't seem to feel the pressure like everybody else from time to time. And I think that's one of the unique qualities that he has. A little bit there from Kelly Rudy, who has joined us every week during the hockey season on Inside Sports, his perspective on the excellent goaltender, Andre Vasilevsky. We have a great hockey story to tell you right now. I am pleased to welcome to Inside Sports a member of the U of A Pandas hockey team for the last few seasons, and she's now going pro. Kennedy Ganser is on the line. Kennedy, you're on with Reed. How are you doing? Hey, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing very well. Very nice Good. to meet you. I've talked to uh, your coach and a few teammates over the years. I, I don't think you and I have ever connected, so this is probably a long uh, overdue interview. How many years did you play for the Pandas? Uh, five. I guess I guess four seasons, and my last one was, was a COVID season. So so there for five years, though, yeah. The one that got wiped out. Tell, tell me a little bit about your hockey journey. Where, where did you grow up, and what got you playing hockey? 
so I'm from a small town called Provost, Alberta, and I kind of I grew up with a, a hockey family. I've got three younger brothers, and my dad. He's he's always played hockey, so pretty much uh, started me on skates when I was young, and kind of been been playing ever since. I guess I uh, I played in Lloyd for a few years. Um, I ended up going to Warner Hockey School my grade uh, 11 12 year and uh then yeah went to u of a and then for five years and now off to buffalo well uh i used to work in lloyd minster i was there when the steelers started up is that still the name yeah. of the midget triple a team yeah yeah it is and is that who you played for at some point yeah, I um I played at the time I played Bantam. I did a year Bantam and they were called the Ice Cats there. So I was there for a year Bantam and then I did two years there playing for the Midget AAA, which is yeah, the Steelers. Okay, awesome. And then U of A, did you have other in- did you have interest from other U sports schools? What was the recruiting process like? Uh yeah, I mean fortunately for me kind of going down to Warner, it was definitely had a lot of exposure to Canadian schools in the States and ultimately I chose to stay in Canada. Um, kind of the difference is the States you get four years, Canada you get five. So that was kind of a deciding factor to me. And also it's been, it's been nice to my family was able to be in the stands for my games rather than watch everything online live stream. So, so I chose to stay in Canada, and I thought if I was going to stay in Canada, I might as well stay as close to home as possible. So I chose Edmonton. What position do you play? Uh, forward. I'm a centerman. Okay. Uh, you know, you've been a first-team All-Star. I believe you were Canada <laughs> West Rookie of the Year. Were you not? Uh, yeah. 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 So uh, really good career. You played with some other great players. What did you have, one national title while you were there? Uh, yeah. My first year we won, we won nationals, and then um, – yeah, we went. We went. I think we went to nationals three times throughout my my time at U of A, but just won the the one time. Were you on the team that had that? What was it? A triple overtime game, something like that? Yeah, yeah, in Manitoba. <laughs> that was right. That was definitely one to remember. Yeah. Okay. Well, so an awesome career for you. What did you study at the U of A? Uh, education teacher. Okay, so what was the the past year like for you where, you know, they were hoping to do a season and then it, it, it got wiped out? Like, what did you, what could you do hockey-wise? So you could get, and we're going to get to this, but you did get drafted into the NWHL, so what could you do to sort of still stay in shape and try to <laughs> impress the yeah. scouts or whatever? <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, was kind of, it was pretty challenging that way. Um, you know, stay in the gym, as often as possible but then you know with COVID gyms were kind of closed so fortunately with school being online I was able to to live at home in Provost and we've got a a gym in uh in our house so so it's kind of fortunate that way but yeah I think we were on the ice we practiced for I believe it was the month of November maybe it was October I can't quite remember but I uh yeah so (laughs) I hadn't really been on the ice at all and uh, I was waiting, actually, to get hip surgery. So I was able to get that in January and kind of work on rehab and now hopefully be good to go for, for next season. Okay, so you got drafted into the NWHL by the Buffalo Buttes. Were yeah. you expecting to get drafted? Were you kind of waiting and following along? Tell us about that whole experience. 
Yeah, it's it's kind of a neat experience. Um, I'd been talking to the to the Buttes, um, so I I kind of had an idea that I would I would possibly be drafted. I wasn't wasn't quite sure where or when I'd be drafted, so that was all kind of you know you'd watch the draft live, and it was kind of <laughs> kind of nerve wracking just not knowing you know when or where for sure that you're gonna go, but. Once it once it was over, then I was now I'm finally able to start to do some um, planning and stuff like that. So it's kind of been a neat experience. So when is the NWHL season going to start? Do you know? Yeah, it starts. I believe the first weekend of November is the first set of regular season games. I believe our camp starts October first. So so we got some time yet. Now that now that everything's open, I'll be able to hit the ice next week and kind of get ready for that. I mean, what's it like to call yourself a pro hockey player? It hasn't really sunk in, I guess. I guess I maybe it's kind of surreal, just because in uh, you know in high school it was the reality was you'd play um, university or college hockey for four to five years, and then you know that was kind of the end of the, your career. But with the uprise of women's hockey and the direction it's going now, it's uh, it's kind of exciting and. Hopefully, hopefully everything keeps rising, and one day you can make a living playing. Kennedy Ganser joining us on Inside Sports after a career with the U of A Pandas. She's been drafted by the Buffalo Buttes in the NWHL, and she's telling you about her career and, and getting drafted. How would you describe yourself as a player? And I'll throw this one at you, Kennedy. Uh, I mean, most people watch the NHL. Any NHLer you would compare yourself to, style-wise? Uh, that's a tough question. Um, I'd, I'd consider myself a two two hundred foot player. Um, kind of been thrown into to all different roles: power play, PK, um, offensive, defensive. You know, kind of stuff like that. Um, more often than not, I'm kind of the gritty one in the corner, setting up my my line mates. And I mean, at U of A, I was fortunate enough to play with um, some really skilled players. So. It kind of made made that offensive job pretty easy, but um, I can't think of any any player off the top of my head that I that I'd compare myself to. But <clears throat> all right, well, sounds like you're a pretty good all around player and a pretty good teammate as well. Have you ever been to Buffalo? Uh, I have actually. When I was in Warner, we we had a tournament down there, so I'm a little familiar with the area. But I'm sure there's lots to uh, to get to see. Well, I remember when I went there for the draft a few years ago, there was a place that had uh, really good poutine. So there's my recommendation for you if you haven't gone. Uh, so Perfect. Uh, do, who, who are some players you've looked up to over the years or, or people you would say really had the biggest impact on your hockey career? Yeah, honestly, for that, I I would have to say, you know, my, my family, my friends, my family friends, like my support system has been crazy like I definitely wouldn't have been able to do it without them and definitely seeing my dad he uh you know playing all all those years and always watching him grow up I I consider him and I'm kind of the same player as he is I've kind of looked up to his his style of play and we're the same position and you know i Many people would always say, you know, you remind me of your dad on the ice. So, so I've definitely looked up to him over the years, and 
you know, at this point, it's all about kind of making those people that have stood behind you proud and and stuff like that. So, so that's that's kind of what it's all about is you know the, that support system and and recognizing them and you know saying thanks and um, appreciating everything that they've done for you. So that's that's kind of my uh, my uh, state of mind, I guess, when it comes to that. Where did your dad play? Uh, he, uh, just in, in Provost, he played on the senior team. And I think he's, uh, he's pretty much played his entire life. He just now finally stopped playing competitively since my parents are kind of all around the province chasing both me and three of my brothers all play hockey. So it's a, it's a busy <laughs> winter for them. So, so, so they're, they're for hang up the skates, I guess. <laughs> They're professional hockey parents, so they've obviously raised <laughs> yeah. a pretty good family and some yeah. pretty good hockey players. How would you what What did it mean to you to be a U of A Panda? Now that it's it's wrapping up and you're going pro, have you had a little bit of time to reflect on the school and the program? Yeah, it's. I mean, I can't I can't say enough about the program. You know, it's the people there, the you know the the players, the staff, everybody is so supportive. You know. Any resource that you need is right there. Um, Howie was awesome to to play for. He, I mean, he's there's a reason that he has the name he does. You know, he's he's amazing at what he does. And like I said earlier, I was I was very fortunate to play with some some very skilled players, and we had pretty successful four four years that I was there playing. Anyways, so. I would, if I could do it all over again, I would do it the exact same way. <laughs> I'd be at U of A. So, well, well said, well said. Hey, Kennedy, thanks for letting everybody get to know you a bit tonight. You're a great success story. Uh, I grew up in a small town, so I always love the the small town connections as well. And uh, all the best with the Buffalo Buttes. I hope we can connect down the road and see how things are going for you. Yeah, for sure. Thanks. Thanks for having me. That is Kennedy Ganser checking in on Inside Sports. Grew up in Provost, went to the U of A, played for the Pandas, won a national title, and a couple of weeks ago drafted into the NWHL by the Buffalo Buttes. Awesome story, and we will definitely follow her career. Okay, it is 7.47. We're winding it down for the week. How are you doing? How are you doing? Are you, are you outdoors? Are you listening on a deck? To me, I think that's the best place to listen to Inside Sports is on a deck. Probably safer than other parts of your house uh, as well. 780-496-0063. If you want to chime in, we're back to wrap it up. 780-496-0063. We have John on the line. John, thank you for calling. What's on your mind? Hey, Reed. Another great show. It's nice to talk to you again with with a little more time. I was, um, yeah, I'm good to hear. I, it's good to hear from you. I was thinking... Um, uh, the players that I think will be up with the Oilers this year, and and it, this is to do with Kenny Holland saying, you know, we we think we're going to expand and get better from within. So I can see Vincent DeHarnay coming. He's a right shot D, six foot seven, two hundred and twenty five pounds. He's got good flexibility, and he's going to give us a little extra size on the blue line. You can see him as a six or seven D. I think. Um, Similarly, they've got Raphael Lavois, 6'4", as a pretty typical power forward who uh, has got a good shot from anywhere on the ice and uh, a decent skater. 
So I see him seeing as being there as a right wing power forward. And similarly, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if all staffs uh, Saffin is on the roster as a left wing power forward because he's a six foot guy. He's got really good speed. He has a very very accurate shot. And I mean, I think the overall um, emphasis for the, the team this year is going to be increased size, uh, people a little bit more uh, physically uh, capable and not giving up too much on the, uh, on the really skilled stuff. So I, I, I look forward to those. I think, I think Ryan McLeod is really a no brainer. He's going to be, the center on the third or fourth line. And similarly, I think Dylan Holloway is going to have the spot on the left wing too. And so the really question is, uh, who can Ken Holland find as a really first-class left winger to play with either with either Leon or with Connor? Well, and Hall's uh, the guy out there, right? Hall, well, I yeah. mean, Hall's the guy. If he if Buffalo doesn't resign, I mean, I've already heard some things that Toronto would be interested, right? Yeah, and so and then the other thing is they gotta somehow fix the goalie situation. And I don't know, Reed. Uh, when I hear all the sportscasters and the fans predicting people we're going to bring in, and every time Ken Holland comes on and it's time to announce it. The, the people he's got, nobody's even thought of. So I don't know how that's going to work. I have no idea. Well, yeah, it shows you that, uh, and, and there's a lot of knowledgeable fans, absolutely, but there's, you know, a lot of angles out there. Uh, where, first of all, uh, interesting thoughts on Day Harney. I don't know if he's as close to the NHL in the organization's mind as he might be to you. Lavoie's an interesting one to watch because, like you said, he's bigger. I wonder if he could eventually supplant Yamamoto. And maybe Holloway's in the NHL by the middle of the season. I'm not sure if he's going to start here, but maybe by the middle of the season. Where are you on the Duncan Keith scenario? Oh, gosh. I don't think think you're going to get him. I don't know who we're going to bring in as a D, but I just don't think that's going to work. Mainly because I think uh, he's going to choose Seattle. It's just closer closer to Vancouver. So uh, I I would love to have him. Oh, gosh, yeah. (laughs) That would be fantastic. Yeah, well, I mean, it sounds like... It sounds like the Oilers are the primary team negotiating with the Hawks right now. I, I think it's just a matter of what the Oilers are going to give up, and I, I think they'd like to take a little bit off the cap hit. I mean, in real dollars, it's perfectly manageable. But to me, it comes down to how much is Chicago going to retain. I mean, here's the thing. Like, I know we talked about this a lot the other night, and I got a lot of feedback. It's like, well, you can't give up this, and, and you have to get Chicago to retain. I don't think the Oilers can have it both ways. I think if the Oilers are able to say, okay, look, we're not giving you Broberg, we're not giving you Bouchard, we're giving you Jones and a middle-of-the-range prospect, then Chicago is going to say, okay, well, then we're not retaining any salary. And if Chicago is going to retain more salary, then the Oilers are going to have to give up a better player. And, and I think, John, the one thing I think everybody agrees on is Broberg and Bouchard cannot be involved in this deal. 
No, absolutely. Nor Holloway. No, and they're going to be there uh, on the D, and and I can hardly wait to see these guys. Uh, You know what? The other thing I'm thinking of, I really enjoyed the call that you had from Mark, your defenseman guy, that phoned and said, you know, they got to fix the, the refereeing, Reed. It's just not satisfactory, and and they they have to get a handle on it. And and I think what the Oilers should do is have a meeting with the competition committee and say, listen, we what we want number one is consistency and define what the penalties are. And if it's a right. foul, it should be called. I think it's okay. It's, yeah. So, so John, you are—you've um, been watching hockey a while. Fair to say, longer than yes. I have. Yes. Probably longer than most listeners. Yes. Uh, and is—is is this the most? And I know you're an Oilers fan, but I also know you're a smart guy, and you wouldn't just look at it from an Oilers perspective. You would look at it from a hockey perspective. Is this? Is this like a pivotal moment for the league in terms of officiating? Like, is this the most irritated you've ever been with the standards? Yes, and it's not only me. It's everybody I talk to, Reed. I have a ton of friends that are other fans, a ton of friends that are Eskimo fans. And it's just, and people are saying, I don't want to watch this hockey anymore. If they don't call the cross-checks on Leon, if they don't call the trips and all the interference on Connor, what the hell is the point of having superstars when they can't let everybody see how good they are. Right. Well, Connor mentioned that in his availability consistency, right? I think consistency from the regular season to the playoffs is, is one thing that the players would want. It's kind of like they have one set of rules. This is what we call in the regular season. The second is what we call in the playoffs. And right underneath the heading for the penalties in the playoffs, they ignore plan A for the regular season. Like, it just, come on, you guys. <laughs> Holy yeah. cow. Fix it, please. John, uh, you usually have a, a quip or something. You didn't have one tonight, but I, I will share with you that um, – Man, oh, man, I, I have a fear of speed bumps, but I'm slowly getting over it. <laughs> okay. How are you doing that? <laughs> you, you like that one? <laughs> I do. <laughs> you, you can use that one. Oh, yeah, thank right. you very much. <laughs> Thanks, John. Thanks a lot, Reed. Good talking to you. I love hearing from John. Well, I love hearing from most of you, quite frankly, but uh, that was John. Good way to cap off the week. Robert says, yes, uh, Reed, barbecuing on the deck while he's listening to the show. That's awesome. And Rob says, working on my boat while listening on Vancouver Island, that is. Well, Rob, thanks for tuning in from Vancouver Island. You must be listening online or on the Radio Player app. So I do appreciate that. That's always uh, nice to hear that people make a point to tune in from other parts of the world. The Euro final is on Sunday. I will watch that, England and Italy, largely because I want to hear the hyperbole from the British announcers. I just imagine them describing things in everyday life, you know, like, and here's Brian walking his dog, proudly prancing Fido. Now in that familiar crouch, and there it is, success. And now Brian has the bag. He is scooping a successful scoop. Brian and Fido, the combination of your dreams. You know, something like that. You know what I'm talking about, Brennan? Well, I've, I've been there, and I wish it was more glorious just like you just did it there. 
that whole process. Well, just that's the thing. Whenever you're doing something mundane, just imagine it being described by a British soccer commentator, and it'll add some excitement to it. All right, are we done for the week? Do I have to go away now? I was going to say, do I have to go home? But I already am home. I'm in my basement. It's quite glamorous. Hey, Brennan, thanks for pitching in this week. You did a great job helping out. It was great to be a part of it, and I love the Vincent D'Arnais reference from John there. There we go. That is Brendan Clack, who uh, was helping produce the show this week with Dave Campbell on holidays, who is the producer of Inside Sports. Kellen Kennedy was away tonight. Hope he has a good long weekend. My name's Reed. Thanks for listening. Take care, everybody. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.